Good morning to the church. It is a uh, privilege and a joy to be back with you this morning, just to be able to worship together and to open God's word again. Apparently, um, the last time I was here was pretty memorable. Um, I think every person that I've met from Fairdale in the last six months has found some way to remind me uh, that I passed out here last time I was preaching. And uh, I guess there's really no cool way to fall out in front of a room full of people. But uh, <clears throat> last month, I got the privilege of preaching Christ to a group of high school football players. There was about 450 high school football players down at Murray State University, and I'm preaching in the stadium. And when I get there, they have set up for me a, um, a high-rise platform. It was like a band director stand that was jacked up about 20 feet in the air, and my wife was absolutely terrified for me. Like, uh, before I went up there, she comes to me in all sincerity, and she says, babe, if you pass out from up there, like, that's going to hurt a little bit. Um, you may not come back from that one. So we prayed as a family before I went up, and uh, God has really been gracious and kind to me, and I've had no other health issues uh, since being here uh, on Super Bowl Sunday, so I'm thankful to have the chance to come back this morning. Um, like Pastor Josh said that we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. So if you're there, um, I want to read just through this passage. This passage is on Jesus calming the storm. Jesus calming the storm. It begins in verse 35, and here's what it says. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, and we pray that you would just visit with us for the next few moments. God, that you would allow us to see Jesus Christ very clearly, and that we would be compelled to, to give him our trust and to live for him. For he is sovereign, and he has all power, and he can calm the storm. We pray that you would visit with us, and we'll pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you've been around church for any length of time, or maybe you've read through your Bible a few times, you're probably familiar with this story, that Jesus calms the storm. And whether you've read this passage one time or you've read it a hundred times, one thing is very evident and clear about this passage, and it is the glory and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus performs a miracle that shows his authority over nature. And the 12 disciples have a front row seat to see Jesus reveal himself in glory, and they are absolutely amazed at his power. 
And as I was studying this passage this week, the one thing that kept coming over and over to me is that we can really grow from this passage because I believe that all of us could either be reminded or maybe shown for the very first time the power of Jesus Christ in a way that leaves us amazed. Right, that we have so many different things in our lives that crowd and, and that compete for our attention, that compete for our amazement. But there's one who really deserves our trust. There's one who really deserves our obedience. There's one who deserves our worship, and it's Christ. Amen. It's of our prayers that as we walk through this passage, we would see Jesus' power and we would be absolutely amazed. Picking up in verse 35, it just says this. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. That's going to be a very important verse. We'll come back to that in a minute. It says, leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat just as he was, and the other boats were with him. So what's going on in this verse right here in the beginning of this passage is Jesus climbs into the boat with his disciples and they have a, a desire to go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So they're going to get into the boat and they're going to sail across the Sea of Galilee and go over to the other side. That's what he says their destination is. But on their way, they run into some adversity. They run into a storm. In verse 37, it says, And there arose a fierce gale of wind. And waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. And so what we have here is no ordinary storm, right? This is not just a little bit of rain and a little bit of wind. This is a major storm that they come up against. They're in a bad spot. It says that the wind and the waves are coming up over the side of the boat, and the boat is starting to fill up with water and to sink. For those that know a little bit about the background of the disciples, many of these men were professional fishermen. And so they would have been accustomed to being on a boat on the sea and seeing storms come all the time. That was a common thing, but this storm was so bad that they began to panic. They began to think that they were going to die because this was such a ferocious storm. This is a big deal. They're in a bad spot. This is a very adverse situation. And a lot of times, I think that we see adverse situations in the Bible. We see storms that come about in life that God begins to use to reveal himself. So they're in a bad spot, but it's in some ways a good thing for them because Jesus uses this storm to reveal his power and his glory to his disciples. So a lot of times we look at adverse situations in our life as something that we want to shun or get as far away from them as we can, right? We start going through storms in life, adverse situations in life, and we begin to question the goodness of God. We begin to question how God, if he really loved us, could allow us to go through something that's so difficult and so hard. Doubt begins to creep up into our hearts and we begin to grow bitter towards God because of the things that we're going through. But what I believe this passage helps us see is that sometimes God's got to let us go through some things in order to reveal himself to us, right? That these disciples are about to see a life-changing miracle, a perspective-shaping miracle from the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's not until he allows them to go through some of the storm that they're going to see it. 
And I believe today that especially in the American church, storms can be good for us because we have gotten to the place where we're so self-sufficient that we don't believe that we need God. Right? When you think about missions and making disciples, I don't see a lot of people today just pleading with God that he would open the hearts of the people in the city of Louisville and draw them to the gospel where we're praying and fasting and actually believing that if God doesn't show up in our ministries, that nothing's going to happen. You know, because we got buildings and we got budgets and we got marketing strategies and we got eloquent preachers, and so why would we need God to show up? When it comes to living a godly life and, and, and diving into the scriptures and longing for the pure milk of the word of God, I don't see a lot of people spending time in the scriptures because we're so distracted by the things of the world. We're so blessed in this country and we got our sports and we got our careers and we got our, our, our families and all of these things that compete for our time. And we don't realize how much we need to be with God. Here's the thing, it's not until the storm is too big and your boat is too small that you realize that you need God to reveal himself to you. That we would get on our faces and we would seek God to show up in our lives and to give us grace and power when we need him. And so maybe this morning that thing that you're going through that feels like a storm, that feels like adversity, maybe, just maybe, that is God's grace at work in your life to get your eyes off of yourself and onto him. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, if you want to look there, 2 Corinthians 1 in verses 8 to 10, he says it this way, 2 Corinthians 1 verses 8 to 10, for we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. So they were going through its extreme situations. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And so I'm not trying to make light of the things that we're walking through. Because in a room this big, I'm sure that there's some people in here who are going through some hard situations. And I'm not trying to make light of those things, but what I am trying to do is to shed light on what God could be doing in the midst of those storms. That we would not give up hope and that we would look to him. Back in Mark 4, it says this in verse 38. Jesus himself was asleep in the stern on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, I thought I was a hard sleeper. But Jesus is here and he's sleeping through a hurricane. It says that he's asleep on the stern. And what this shows us is the human side of our Lord. Right? We understand that Jesus is God, that uh, the beginning of John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later on in that uh, same chapter, it goes on to say that the Word became flesh. And so we know that the Word is speaking about Jesus. It says Jesus is God. And in the Psalms, it tells us that 
that God never slumbers and he never sleeps. God doesn't need to sleep because he's infinite. But when we read this account of Jesus right before he calms the storm, we see that Jesus is just like you and just like me when we get tired. He does what? He goes to sleep. Right? Because not only is he 100% God, but he's also 100% human. And in Hebrews chapter 2, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 that that was necessary. It's necessary for him to be fully human so that he could save us from our sins. Hebrews chapter 2 in verse 14, it says this. Therefore, since the children, you and me, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same so that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and that he might set us free. And so here's the deal. Man, you and I, humanity, have, have sinned against God. And because of that, we've placed ourselves under the power and the authority of Satan and sin and death. And so Jesus, in order to save his people, in order to save humanity, he became a man. He took on flesh and he lived a life we could not live in perfect righteousness. And then he died the death that we deserve to die upon the cross in order to reconcile us back to God. And so he's a sympathetic high priest in the sense that he can relate to us. He's 100 percent human. Man sinned against God, and so man had to pay the penalty of death. But it couldn't just be any man. It had to be a man who could also defeat death. And so he's the God-man. This is the Christ that we serve. He was asleep in the stern, and it says that the, the disciples ran and they woke him up. In verse 38, he was asleep on the cushion. They ran, they woke him up, and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? The disciples are being rocked by this storm. This is a massive storm. And they're panicking for their life. And they run to Jesus and they wake him up out of his sleep and they say, Hey, where are you? Where are you? These, these, these waves are coming up into the boat. We're about to perish and you're sleeping. Don't you, don't you care? How many of us this morning could be honest and say, you know what? <laughs> I've been there. I've been in a hard spot where it seems like nothing is going right. Nothing's going my way. I'm trying to be faithful and I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying to remain in church and Bible study. And it just seems like time after time, I can't catch a break. And we may not say it and communicate it to God, but we wonder in our hearts, does God really care. I mean, God, do you see the bills that are piling up in my home? Do you see that last month I got a pink slip and I don't know how these bills are going to pay for themselves? God, do you not see that my marriage is falling apart? Do you not see that my kids have lost their mind and, and, and it just seems like he doesn't care? Well, I want to point out two things in this passage that show us that, that Jesus really does care. It says that he was asleep in the stern and they were able to run to him and to wake him up. In other words, he wasn't far. He was present. 
Right? The same storm, the same wind and waves that are hitting the disciples are hitting Jesus because he's right there with them. In John chapter 10, it talks about how Jesus is the good shepherd. He's not a hired shepherd that when he sees the, the danger coming, when he sees the wolves coming, that he takes off and leaves his sheep. No, we're talking about the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. We're talking about Jesus where the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Here's the thing, no matter what we're walking through, none of us will ever have to walk through it alone because we have a God who is present and who is with us. He'll never forsake us. The second thing that is true about Jesus is that he has already proven to care about us. Consider the cross where Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross with, with you and I in mind. That Jesus would hang there and he would receive the wrath and the anger of God against our sin on himself, that he would bore our sins in his body on that tree. Now, I believe that if he's willing to do that with us in mind, that he cares about our struggles and our trials and the things that we're going through. Right, like, like Romans chapter 8 says that if God did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Jesus says, don't let the storm be an indicator for how much I love you. Let the cross be an indicator for how much I love you. Right, that if we're ever concerned or have doubt in our minds about whether or not Jesus cares, look no further than Calvary where he says, it is finished. Jesus cares about them. In verse 39, he shows us his power. Verse 39, he says, and he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. Now, can I just say that if I was present, and I saw this happen in live action, that, that that's a game changer for me right there, right? Like, I don't have any more doubts. I don't have any more questions. If you speak to nature and nature obeys your voice, then I'll follow you wherever you want to go, right? Because clearly you are not an ordinary man. Jesus speaks and he shows his authority over nature and the waves and the wind obey his voice, and the reason why is because Jesus made the waves and the wind, right? Look at Colossians chapter 1, over to your right. Colossians chapter 1. To see this in another place. The power and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And so the sea doesn't just stop raging at once, but it does when the creator speaks to it. 
right? It does when the one who has all power and all authority, the one who is sovereign over all creation, speaks to it. And this is our God. This is our King Jesus. The one who the scriptures say that God raised him up and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. The scriptures, Jesus himself says that all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. And so here's the thing. I don't think that there's any storm in our life, anything that we're going through that Jesus can't deal with. He has power over all things. And we have to believe that. Whenever we're going through some things in life that we realize we don't have the strength in and of ourselves to fix, we have to believe that he has all authority and all power. That he can do whatever he wants to do, that there is nothing that is impossible for our God. He says, I have the power and the authority to to take your sin and to cleanse it and to give you righteousness as a gift so that you might come into the presence of my Father. He has that type of power. He has the power to deliver us from our past guilt and shame and condemnation and to give us the freedom in Christ to be able to live to the glory of God. I myself am a personal walking testimony of the power of Jesus Christ to change someone's life and then to use him for his glory. He has power. Well, he goes on in the last two verses as we wrap this up. In verse 40, And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I was reading through this passage and I was wondering, like, why would Jesus ask them why they're afraid? Right. They, they literally think that they're about to die. There is water coming into this boat and it's about to sink. And Jesus asked this interesting question, like, why are you all scared? Why are you afraid? Remember back in verse 35, when when Jesus first invited them into the boat, remember what he said. Look at it again. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Jesus told them where they were going. Jesus invited them into the boat and he said, follow me and we're going on a destination to a specific location. That's where we're going. That's my promise to you. He says, I know there's a storm. I know there's adverse situations. But if I told you we're going to the other side, guess where we're going? To the other side. And as I begin to read this and study this and think about how it applies to our lives, my heart began to melt because I can hear Jesus asking me the very same thing. Scott, don't you believe my promises? Don't you believe my word when I speak things and I, and I say things are going to be one way and you start going through some stuff in life and you begin to throw out everything that I told you? You begin to doubt me. When the scriptures tell us that that anybody who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life, that's not a maybe. That's not a pending verdict, that if we put the weight of our uh, hopes for eternity onto Jesus Christ, that he will save us. But a lot of times, maybe functionally, maybe not doctrinally, but functionally, we begin to put our hope on ourselves. 
and our moral efforts and our church going and the things that we do to earn heaven. Or maybe it's that Jesus has promised that if we will go and make disciples of all nations, that he will be with us, even to the ends of the age. But, but we uh, have fear and we have doubt about how we should engage our neighbors with the gospel. Why not take him at his word to believe that he's going to go with us and that maybe if we'll just open our mouths that he will draw people to himself. That maybe he's already at work in that person's heart trying to draw them to the gospel and he's just waiting on us to believe what he says that he's going to be with us. Here's the very last verse and we'll close on this. They became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I love that phrase, who then is this? I don't know what Bible version translation you're reading, but some translations say what kind of man is this that the wind and the waves would obey him? The disciples are absolutely baffled by what they just saw. Right? They're amazed that Jesus has this type of power and that he revealed himself in this way. They're stunned. And my prayer as I was studying this this week is that, that the American church, us here today, that we would get to a place where we are amazed by who Jesus is, by what Jesus has done. I fear that we have gotten such, in such a routine that, that the, the glory of Jesus Christ is old news to us that we hear about Jesus preach Sunday after Sunday and we study him in Bible study after Bible study and we, we yawn and we say, what's, what's for lunch? Oh, that we would be amazed by the Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of man is this, the God-man, who would come to earth to rescue us from our sins and to stand as the mediator between a holy God and sinful humanity and bridge that gap in reconciliation through dying on a cross. What kind of man is this who is present with us and who would not leave us nor forsake us but walk through our storms with us? What kind of man is this who has the power to speak to our situations and to give us peace even when we're walking through chaos? What kind of man is this who would make promises to us and then literally die to keep those promises? Listen, it's not until we stand in awe of who Jesus is that we would give everything we have to follow him. Until we are amazed the way that these disciples were amazed at who he is and what he's done, that we would be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus and give our lives to that very thing. We got to get to a place where we're amazed. What kind of man is this? And why on earth would he love a guy like me? That's got to grip our hearts. He's got incredible power. He speaks to the storms and he can calm them down. I pray that we would trust him with our lives, that we would give our lives to him, that we would surrender to him, maybe for the first time this morning. Maybe you've never come to the place where you've believed that, that you are a sinner and that you need to be reconciled to God and that Jesus laid his life down for that very thing. And you would trust him that he would give you his righteousness. Or maybe it's just that we would 
we would not take him so casually and lightly and that we would, we would reach the city of Louisville to, to advance the kingdom, believing that he's with us and that he can do whatever he says he wants to do. I pray that we'd trust him. I pray that we'd surrender to him. What kind of man is this? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness that you would allow us to see the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory and splendor, that he is the God-man who stands in the gap. There is one God and there's one mediator between God and man, and it's the man Christ Jesus. And I pray that as we see him, we would, we would be changed, that as we see him, we would stand in awe and we would give our lives to him. We would stake our lives on his word because faith is taking you at your word. God, I pray that there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you as their personal Savior and Lord, that you would draw them as Jesus has been lifted up. And for those of us who have been walking with you for a while, I pray that you would help us to believe your promises, that we would go and believe that your power and your grace is going to show up in our lives this week. We'll pray that you do it for your glory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.